I love, I love seeing the chatterboxes out there. There's always the last ones to sit down, keep talking as you're sitting. That's the best. That's me usually too. Uh, I'm Pat. I'm one of the pastors on the team here. And uh, in case this is maybe your first time or, or you've been out kind of on travels, vacations and stuff, uh, we are in week number five, week number five of a summer series we are calling The Best Sermon Ever. The best sermon ever. And it's not because of what you're going to be hearing uh, this morning. It has nothing to do with who's on stage. It has everything to do with the passage that we're walking through. It's, uh, it's found in Matthew chapters 5 through 7 there. It's the Sermon on the Mount. And so what we know is, is Jesus was an incredible teacher. And we have the longest teaching that he gave us in that passage there. And so his disciples are present as he's sitting on a teaching, uh, teaching from a hillside here. And then crowds begin to gather and hear these words. So that's what we're uh, walking through uh, this summer here at Overlake. And, um, and, and what he's really doing, what Jesus is really doing, he's unpacking what we see in the Old Testament. He's unpacking the law. And, and he's not unpacking more rules, more regulations, more commandments. He's actually unpacking what got missed along the whole way. Along people, as people were kind of uh, uh, centering their lives upon the law, they kind of missed the whole boat. Uh, and so what Jesus is doing is he's unpacking God's heart in it all. God's heart. If you look at, at the Ten Commandments even, four of them have to do with our love, our relationship with God. And then six have to do with our connection, relationship, how we love people. And when you look at the Sermon on the Mount, it fits in those two categories beautifully. Uh, last week, we, we heard from Pastor Neely share on the, the topic of prayer. Again, a vibrant uh, aspect to our relationship, our connection, our love of God. And, and then a couple weeks ago, we, we heard on things like anger and lust and this desire for retaliation. And, and we recognize that that gets in the way of how we can love others, love people. And, and as you read this, and it takes probably no more than 13 minutes. I'm a slow reader, and it takes me about 13 minutes to read the Sermon on the Mount. Um, which, which probably has you wonder why we, we speak for so long on Sundays if Jesus went 13. Something to aim for, I guess. So we'll go quick. Uh, but, uh, but Jesus, he's, he's speaking on these two things, loving God, loving people. And you hear his passion for what it looks like to serve the world. And so this passage is beautiful because it unpacks who we are here at Overlake, how we love God, love people, serve the world, our, our, our purposes, our values. So what I want to do, I want to begin here, because Jesus goes into a, a passage of Scripture, uh, a topic that has to do with values, possessions, things of that nature. And so uh, just to kind of get the framework in our minds right, I think at any age, at any maturity level, there's always going to be something we value, some possession maybe we prize or whatnot. When I was a kid, and, and maybe you remember these things too, Beanie Babies, these were the craze. These were big. Anybody ever have a Beanie Baby in here? Yes. I was reading an article just yesterday, actually. Uh, a family. These, and remember how crazy they were? Like, people were saying how much that these were going to be worth if you hold on to them. It was like this crazy, like, collection, like, just frenzy. There was a family that dumped $100,000 into these things, believing that reality that on some level, once their kids get older, that this, their Beanie Baby collection would fund their kids' college education. Lost 100 grand. 100 grand. I then checked to see the net worth of the individual who invented these things. 2.5 billion. The dude did all right. The dude did okay. But Beanie Babies, right? When we're little, maybe we, our prized possessions are as simple as like stuffed animals or something. And then we get older. I remember uh, junior high, made my first big purchase. 
multi-hundred dollar purchase. And it was from my best friend's dad, Ryan Renzo, bought it from his dad. It was an Ibanez electric guitar. And it was 400 bucks, never forget, didn't have it all, so I had to kind of do it, set up a payment plan and mow tons of lawns. And, and, and I remember getting this thing, came with the case, came with the amp, came with the cords, the, the tuner, the picks. Uh, uh, and, and I remember every, after every time I played, I just polished that thing. Like I just, I, it was like glistening. I was so slippery, it was hard to play sometimes. Like I, I just overpolished it. But we have things like that that we accumulate over time that begin to, you know, like catch our eye that we love. And then, and then we move on. Then we move on to the big things in life, like long hair, a good haircut, a nice new truck sitting in the back of a Dodge Dakota here, you know, getting a little honey up next to you. Uh, that's, that's my bride. We've been married nine years now, and, and I think we're junior, senior in high school around there. Uh, and, and, and I remember, I, I was so crazy about her, I let her cut my hair for the prom. I don't even know. Only, only we're getting our relationship thus far. In nine years of marriage, was, was getting that haircut. Uh, but then you move on, even beyond those, those, those things, into things like we just found out a few weeks ago that in January, we're going to be putting a little guy into one of these. I know. I know. My wife finally let me pass second base when I hit a home run. It was, it was great. That's right. Little baby boy is coming in January, and, and, it, and it totally changes, right, what you value, what's most important to you. And so we're going to look at some verses here. Jesus is teaching, and it's a, it's a chunk of scripture, and I'm going to read the whole thing. And what I'm going to ask is I know some of you have heard this or read this multiple times, and so let's come at it with a fresh perspective, with new eyes, with open ears, open hearts. Let's hear what Jesus' teaching is about. Let's, let's hear the heart of God in it, because I guarantee you it has to do with how we love God and how we love others. So let's read it, let's read it together, starting in verse 19. Here's the words of Christ. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. No one can serve two masters. You will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plan or harvest or store food in barns. For your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add even a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. 
So here we have Jesus. And uh, full disclosure right on the front end there, he just goes for it, doesn't he? He just lays it out super clear. It comes across not just as challenging, but borderline offensive in some of what he's saying here. And he goes right at it. He goes to our value systems, our priorities, the things that are nearest to us. And he unpacks this. And he begins with treasure. He begins with the one thing that, 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 that is probably hardest to even address. He goes after money, cheddar, lettuce, greenbacks, dead presidents, whatever you call it. He goes after it. And he's addressing this because he wants to reveal his heart, his heart to us in this category. And it's so important to him. This is interesting. You'll find this interesting. So important to him. 15% of what Jesus' teachings are in the entire New Testament 15% have to do with money, have to do with possessions and stewardship. That's more than if you take heaven and hell combined. He spends time in this area recognizing that it's important we understand it. And so I know as I was looking through the passage, I got a sign for this particular week. I'm like, man, how did I draw the short straw here? How did I get the one on money? And I'd say over the course of this week, my, my, my thinking has changed a little bit to now feeling like, wow, I'm in good company. If Jesus was speaking on money, I'm in good company to speak on the same thing. It's so, such an honor. And, and, and a couple weeks ago, again, I was thinking, man, I get the one thing, the one thing that causes more anxiety than the upcoming election. And yet now I realize if we apply this, if we look into this, if we really live into it, it's going to bring not anxiety, but incredible amount of freedom and joy and fullness, vibrance of life. I was thinking a couple weeks, I was like, oh man, what if I share something and it somehow offends someone and, and so they choose to no longer uh, contribute or support to the Overlake Ministries here? And then I began to think, well, what if we don't talk about this? Where's that avalanche of generosity going to come from that cares for the needs of the east side and, and around the world, our partners that we support all over? And so Jesus really, he, he hits lead off with this question that he's getting at with his disciples, with his, with his hear, hearers, his listeners that are there that day. And not just 2,000 years ago, but to us as we listen to the passage. And the question is this, and if you take notes, you want, may want to write it down. It's, what are you investing in? He's asking, what are you going to invest in? Where are you putting not just your time, not just your talent, but I'm talking your treasure, your finances. Something you may not know about me, a little part of my story, is in my mind, I was not supposed to be a pastor. Uh, my senior year, first year of marriage uh, in college, I was devoted, I was dedicated to getting rich. And so I was spending all kinds of time, all kinds of hours on uh, watching these videos, reading these books, listening to all the talking heads on how to do day trading, how to do options trading. I don't know how much money, so I had to leverage as much as I could. And this is 2008, by the way, which no one preps you for what happened in 2008, if you remember that. We all tried to forget it. Sorry, anxiety levels up. Just bring it down. Just bring it down. And so at 6.30 every morning, my senior year, especially in the second semester, not even kidding you, Leah could attest to this, I would wake up to a ding, 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 ding. The market had opened. My laptop was letting me know, come, look at the numbers. Look at the little green and red arrows and numbers. Look at the, the, the analyst expectations coming through, the earnings reports that are being released. And so I was dedicated to this. In between classes, I'd even run back up to our apartment, make some trades, see how I'm doing, see if I need to put some stop gaps on things, and then run back down. It was crazy. 
These verses were not near to my heart at all, and I fear actually what would have happened had I struck gold in that season of life. I don't know what the trajectory of my life would have looked like. I know at one point my goal is to work on Wall Street, manage all kinds of money. I don't know what the state of my heart would have been had that happened. But these three verses right here were not near to my heart. These were not the uh, things I was building my life around. And, and so let me read them again in verse 19. Again, Jesus' words, don't store up treasures here on earth. Where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven. Where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Jesus is clear. We get two options. You can store up treasures here on earth where they'll perish. You can't even take them with you after this goes. And, and, and maybe, maybe they'll outlive you, but you're, you don't see U-Hauls being towed by a hearse anywhere. Or your second option is to store them up in an eternal nature, to invest wisely. Warren Buffett would be proud. Jesus is saying, invest for the long term, right? In heavenly things. And so we have to ask ourselves, what is that? What's that even look like? And this is where a theology professor of mine, I think, is extremely helpful when he says, let Scripture interpret Scripture. And so let's look at Luke's account. I think it's in chapter 12. Yeah, Luke chapter 12, verse 33. As Luke is uh, writing down an account of Jesus' teaching on this, let's listen to Luke as he interprets really what we're asking here. Luke says, sell your possessions and give to those in need. Those are the words of Christ. This will store up treasure for you in heaven, and the purses of heaven never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it. No moth can destroy it. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Luke's saying, give, sell, make people the priority, not possessions. People are greater than possessions. And I think we all recognize this. No one in here is going to argue that the world's greatest collection of Beanie Babies is worth more than one life. Not at all. And there's moments in life, I think we get an extreme amount of clarity on this. Feel the weight and the gravity of it. I know the season my wife and I are in right now, knowing that we have a, a new baby boy coming in January, that shifts your paradigm when it comes to what you value, what you treasure. Life, people, names, faces. Even last weekend, getting to hang out with my grandma, spending moments with her, playing pinochle. Man, she was just, just, just slamming us. It was, it was bad. My grandma, she doesn't go easy. She's sweet, but she'll, she'll, she'll put you under the rug, like, really fast. <laughs> but moments like that, not, not spending time going out, trying to collect more things to hoard and accumulate. Even moments like this week, got some family in town. Got my brother and sister-in-law, their three little boys. Just, just memories. Time spent with Jaden, with Cooper, throwing them around, catching Pokemon, going to the zoo. Just all kinds of goodness. Far better than any shopping trip I've ever been on. And yet, there's a, an example that came to mind as I was thinking through one of the movies that I love. That, that's just heart-wrenching. I think I've only seen it twice because of the amount of emotional toll that it takes. 1993, Best Picture. Schindler's List. If you've seen it, you'll know exactly the part that I'm going to reference towards the end of the movie. No more than just two to three minutes. Powerful moment that Oscar Schindler has. A little context for you in case you haven't seen it. Oscar Schindler is part of the Nazi party. He's a German wealthy man who moves into a town and his only goal at the beginning of the movie is to make money. He knows that if he can identify a way to kind of uh, uh, produce different equipment and, and armaments and things to sell to the Nazis, that he's going to make a big load of money. 
And so he moves in with that intent. Yet after now witnessing what's happening, he sees he's on the wrong side of the equation. He's funding genocide. He's equipping destruction of mankind. And so what he now begins to shift is he changes his platform from making money to still being a business owner, but now with a mission. And the mission is to save lives, to get as much of a workforce of Jewish people as possible to save them from Auschwitz and other concentration camps. So, so at the end of this movie, there's this moment as he's in a crowd of the, the 1,100 or so workers that he saved. And as he's preparing to leave, because the Red Army's coming to liberate the Jews, he takes two steps over to his car, and he looks at his car, and he says, why did I keep the car? I should have sold the car. It's 10 people right there. He, re he reaches down, he grabs a, a gold pen out of his lapel, and he says, two people. He would have given me. I could have used this as a bribe for two people. I could have saved at least, at least one person with this. And he's so overcome, he breaks down, falls to his knees as he recognizes, perhaps more clear than ever in his life, the value and worth of just one life in comparison to all the vast wealth of all the other things that he had. And so really, we are then challenged. Are we going to take an earthly or are we going to take a heavenly perspective? History has been kind to us in the regard of giving us examples. I think of Mother Teresa. I think of a woman that gave her life to people. I think of a woman who, when she died, it's written that the only possession she had was a bucket and two saris. That's it. I think of then the one that we follow, the one who hung on that cross, who died with even less than Mother Teresa did, who literally gave everything, his last breath, his whole life, for people, for every person. No wonder why this man asks his followers to come and do the same. And so how will we respond? And I think it requires some time so that we don't set this aside and table it for later discussion. And I think we have to apply some urgency if we're going to make some progress in this area. So I think some great questions to ask is, when was the last time I invested in heaven? People, names, faces. When's the next time I plan to? Who am I investing in now? What names of people? And I'm not talking just time or your talents. I'm talking even your treasure. How does your budget, your bank account reflect where your investment is going? And Jesus is such a great teacher. I love that he kind of continues to move on and he unpacks one of the important things as to how we're wired. Jesus was a part of the creative process as we were made. And so he lets us know an important aspect of this is our eyes. And that's the next question. That he asked his disciples to, to, to ponder, to wrestle with. And so I'll ask you as well, but the question is this. What is catching your eye? What is catching your eye? Earlier, Jesus speaks again on the power of our eyes, of the things we look at. And he says, if your eyes cause you to sin, gouge them out. He's saying, these things are powerful. And so what you view, what you focus on, what you fixate on can be used either one to totally take you away in a great relationship of loving God and loving others, or it can do the opposite. And he speaks to it using these words, saying, your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Again, two options. 
If we're going to serve something, we can be enslaved to money or we can serve God. But we do get to choose. I'm amazed at the power of my eyes. Every two weeks, I have this same moment. And I'm sure some of you do as well. Anybody go to Costco? The Kirkland Costco is my favorite, although the tax rate's a little lower in Woodenville. So I understand if you go there. When I go to Costco, I may have a list of five things I need. And I have the same, well, I shouldn't say not every time. <laughs> but, but when I go in, I'm amazed at what my eyes are communicating that I need. Are you guys not amazed at the power of your eyes? I'm walking through, and, and it's not even close to the list. It's a canoe. I don't need a canoe. I don't live on the water. And I'm grabbing that thing, and I'm putting it in the cart, right? My eyes have this ability to lift, to launch, to pull out a credit card, to swipe. I come out of there with, with, with canoes. I don't need just a little bit of mayonnaise. I need two drums of, like, four pounds each, you know? I want a dog sled for crying out loud. I'm waiting for Costco to come out dog sled. Not because it snows around here. It would just be cool. Like, my eyes just say they need so much. My receipt looks like the IRS tax code. It just keeps going. And I got to check it all and then use that highlighter. Whew, they need a new highlighter. You know, like, it's amazing. It's amazing what catches my eye. And yet these same eyes have also gone to places like Chile and Kenya and India and have wrecked me at a heart level at the extreme need of others. These same eyes have undergone an incredible transformation over these last few years with the Blessing My City focus that, that there is incredible need where I live. I don't have to jump on a jet. I, I, I just have to open my eyes. I have to see, Lord, what do you want my eyes to catch? And you'd be amazed it's not possessions, it's people. But that begins to change us at a heart level. And so just as Jesus says, you can be enslaved to money, you can serve God, we have to start asking him, what's it look like to serve God? And I just argue again, let's let scripture interpret scripture. So if we flip a little farther into Matthew chapter 25, you'll read these words. And again, these are Christ's words. These are from Jesus. And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. It's amazing the dynamic of what it looks like to love God really means to love people well, to serve the world. It really requires that we start wrestling with some questions that we haven't put on the table, that we haven't really talked about, that we don't like to discuss. And I think one is, what's it look like? That as prosperity comes into your life, it doesn't increase your living, but it increases your giving. I think we have to ask ourselves, what's it look like to put a self-imposed living limit, a cap, a governor on our lifestyles, so that we can begin to do this better? So that we can be do begin to do this more? And I love the example of John Wesley, one of my boys. From back, uh, he writes this, this. The account that I'm about to share with you happened in 1973. John Wesley, he, he, he's, he had just purchased some new paintings, and he's hanging them in his home, and a knock comes at the door. It's wintertime. He goes over to the door. Standing there is one of his chambermaids with no coat. She doesn't own one. She doesn't have one. She's shivering. She's in the cold. She's asking for some money so she can go and warm up. As he reaches in his pockets, he recognizes how little he has to offer her, and it dawns on him. Maybe the Lord's not pleased with how I've been spending my money. If this woman, who I know, who I even employ, is going without shelter. And he writes these words, and it comes across in Old English, but I want you to hear his heart. Again, what caught his eye in that moment. He writes this. 
Will thy master say, well done, good and faithful steward? Thou hast adorned thy walls with the money that might have screened this poor creature from the cold. O justice, O mercy, are not these pictures the blood of this poor maid? Something different caught his eye all of a sudden. His priorities, his value system changed, and it impacted how he lived. He calculated, it says in 1931, he calculated that his income was 30 pounds, and he realized he only needs 28 pounds to live off of. This is, this is in a year. How crazy is that, right? Inflation's done a number on us, guys. I'll tell you what. But 28 pounds. And he decides, I'm just going to stick to 28 pounds. Anything extra, I know what I'm supposed to do with it. I'm supposed to give it away. So that's what he does. First year, he gives away two pounds. Next year, his income nearly doubles. Keeps 28 pounds. He's able to give away 32. Third year, his income tripled. He lived on 28 pounds, and he gave away 62 pounds. One year, his income was slightly over 1,400 pounds. He lived on all, or gave it all away except for just 30 pounds. It said, he said he had no more than 100 pounds on him at any given moment. He was so quick, so rapid as it came in, he just knew it's to give out. Over the course of his life, made somewhere around 30,000 pounds, estimated, nearly all of it just given away. He had such a recognition as to the heart of Christ in this area. And it was radical in how it shaped him. And what I want to let you know is as you give, as you're financially faithful here at Overlake, you too are clothing those in need. You too are feeding the hungry. You too, uh, one of the most beautiful things that happen that you may not recognize is just people are able to come throughout the week and use our showers in the back, inside the building here at the back. Give them a tower, give them just the decency. Those living outside or in, in, in cars or, 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 or not in homes or shelters, they can come here and we will welcome them. We will, uh, it, it can take a shower, they can grab some food. You are making that possible. Almost a, a couple hundred people over the last few months alone have been able to hear about this and take advantage of it. It's so cool to see, and you guys are making that possible. I even think of some of the other ministries on site that are able to stay here rent-free so that they don't have to, again, they can keep their, their costs to a minimum. I think Eastside Academy, I think a Children's Law Center of Washington. That's because of you. I think of where places I've gone in Kenya, literally, there are clean water wells in communities because of your financial gifts. You are doing this, not just for people over there, but to Christ. Christ in his most distressing disguise, as Mother Teresa puts it. You've helped send kids to camp. You've helped set slaves free in, in Thailand. You've done so much. You've helped befriend the Syrian refugee. There's an incredible amount of generosity in this room. I just want you to recognize it doesn't just happen out of rote. It doesn't just happen uh, to check it off the list. It happens because we're living into this teaching of what Jesus offers us to love him and to love others. And what the reality is, and we all know this, and Jesus recognizes this as well, and you'll never hear me say this, possessions are inherently evil or anything. I just think that there's a way in which somehow they distract us from the greater, Right? And there's a, there's a reality that money provides means by which we're able to provide food and clothing and shelter and fun and, and trips and things of that nature. Hobbies, activities that are all great things. And there's something that sets in when your needs are a little more than what you have. That gap right there creates something I like to call worry, anxiety, stress. And Jesus, he asks us to wrestle with the question when we're in those moments 
when we're in moments of need, when, when worry sets in and it's fighting for our heart, the question that we get to ask is simply this, what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? Jesus says this, starting in verse 31, he says, so don't worry about these things, saying what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Worry can take on all shapes and sizes. I know the Howardsons talked to Mike. They're coming back from vacation this week, run into car problems. Bam, huge car payment. I got to put, put the family up in a couple hotel rooms for a couple nights. That's more food, more, more than what you're expecting. I know me. Came in the form last week, had an eye appointment. The treatment plan the doctor outlined isn't covered by insurance. I know some, there's a, a dramatic increase coming that you know and it's causing worry and fear and anxiety of what your rent will be soon. I know many of you, I've talked to you, I've, I've, I've prayed with you that have been looking for employment, for work, for, for weeks, for months, for even years. And there's this constant desire to go back towards worry. And again, Jesus outlines we can worry or we can trust. We can worry or we can trust. And trust, trust is interesting because trust requires risk. It requires actually believing the person and their words so much that you live it out. And so I'd ask this, in this moment actually, let's just all stand up. I want to make sure we get this because I think this is a great moment to, to lead us into a response and give us a moment to recalibrate our hearts and our minds to one of trusting in God, trusting in Jesus. That regardless what situation, what scenario, what conversation maybe you had this morning, what emails are waiting for you, any of that, let's table it. And let's just create a moment where we can just allow ourselves to do what Jesus asks us, to put him first, to seek him first. And I, don't, I always thought that was so kind of cruel, almost demanding until I recognized, but time out. Here's a man, he outlines what his values were, what his priorities were, and what was it? Us. You walk through those questions with Jesus, what did he invest in? He gave his whole life for us. What caught his eye? Us. What was he willing to do about it? Go to the cross. He ministers not just to our physical needs. He goes well beyond that. He goes deep down to the forgiveness that we need, the grace we need, the eternal community with him that we need, that we desire. And so regardless where we're at, let's, let's enjoy a moment to just communicate once again, regardless where we're at, that we trust him. Let me pray, and then let's just respond in some worship. Lord, it is so hard to read these words and actually begin to think what it requires of us, what it even looks like. And so to you, I ask on behalf of all of us here, all of us listening, regardless if we're here physically or watching online, that, that there would be your spirit present helping us make the tough decisions, helping us answer these tough questions. Not because you're demanding or cruel or mean, but because you desire what is best for us. Help us in how we love you. Help us in how we love others. Help us in what it looks like for us to serve the world. 
go before us, go behind us, provide for every needs. I can't even imagine the needs represented by those in this space, Lord. Would you meet those needs? And we know you will. And we trust you. We declare that as hard as it is to model it in our lives, we declare that we do trust you and we love you. And we're willing to live for you. In your name, amen. Mm-hmm.